What's up, fight fans? You are listening to MMA Daily, the podcast where we bring you the latest in the world of mixed martial arts. It is Monday, November 25th, 2019. My name is Gabriel. You can find me on social media at Double G on TV. And I'm joined by my lovely co-host, Natalie Zamudio. Hello, Double G. How you doing, man? I am good, Natalie Z. And as we advertised, we have a special guest. The next gentleman is the CEO and founder of Smash Global, the black tie MMA event in Hollywood, soon to come to the East Coast, and not for nothing, my boss, Mr. Steve Orozco. Steve, how you doing? I'm good, my man. How are you today? I am good. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for talking to us about everything MMA, Smash Global. First off, I want to talk about it. You've been a California guy for a while. How is it on the East Coast as the temperature has started to drop in recent weeks? Oh, man, I'm having a, <laughs> I'm actually having a hard time with it. Number one, it's hard to not eat because you're indoors all the time. And this year, the weather is just different. Like It went from literally 55 to 25. You know, normally that doesn't happen. Usually you get acclimated, you know, it's like 30 and you know, it's like 40 and then 30 and then 20. But it, I think they're just testing me really hard this year. So I'm excited to go back to California on the 4th and get out of this cold weather. I got to ask, did you have that thing happen where it's like, oh, yeah, I got some jackets. I'm good. And they just weren't enough. Yeah, I don't. It, well, the shitty part of all of this is. uh so our goal was only to come here for a year to test it, to make sure we want to be here. So we left all of our stuff in storage, minus, you know, what we wanted to bring for the year. So clothes, et cetera. And uh, I definitely did not bring enough of my stuff. I wish I brought more. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I feel like you're going back with an extra suitcase when you come back. <laughs> yes, yes, pretty much. <laughs> Well, Steve, you know, a lot of people will obviously know you for starting Smash Global. Um, For fans who don't know you yet, and once again, this is your second appearance. You were here last year on the show for Smash Global 8. Um, Let's talk about a little bit about you. First off, what is your background? Because you weren't just a strictly MMA guy. You had a whole other career and enterprise before you really devoted to the fight game. Yeah, I went, I went ass backwards, man. I did the, you know, go to college. I worked on Wall Street, the white picket fence life. And you know something? It just wasn't for me. I'm one of those people who's wired to do what I love. And sometimes you don't realize that until you go through the process of being in corporate America. There's so many people going to corporate America after college, and it's either for them. They're good with the Groundhog Day kind of life. And for others, it's not. And it just wasn't for me. And I wrestled my entire life. I was training in MMA at the time. And I went to Hensel Gracie's in New York. And then a place called Ultimate MMA in Connecticut. And that's why I just fell in love with jiu-jitsu and MMA. And uh, I ended up leaving corporate America. Moving to San Diego, which at the time was the hotbed for MMA. It pretty much still is, in my opinion. And uh, I turned pro as a fighter in 2011, I think it was. And when eight and one or seven and one as a pro, and the rest is history. Can I ask, uh, what was that moment like? Because obviously, a lot of people train, and you're certainly not the yeah. first businessman to go out there and, you know, MMA is part of your routine. But what was, do you remember the moment where you're like, you know what? I don't just want to train. I don't just want to spar. I don't just want to roll. 
I want to go out there and really fight live, fight a real competition. What was that moment like for you? Yeah, that moment was when I was supposed to have my first amateur fight at the Mohegan Sun here in Connecticut. And I was going to go as a kid. It was at 170. He was a Taekwondo kid. And he ended up backing out the week of. And that's when I really was like, oh, I want to fight so bad. And that was probably the, the defining moment where I knew I needed to leave the small state of Connecticut where MMA was not legal yet. It just became legal this past year. And uh, so I went to California. That was it. My best friend at the time, Ron Casper, who's my best man at my wedding, he had moved to San Diego a few years prior. And I had gone out there to visit him a few times. And I just fell in love with San Diego. And he was teaching boxing classes at a place called the Boxing Club. And uh, I loved it. I loved it. I knew that's what I wanted to do. Now, obviously, you know, Wall Street, first off, I don't think there are very many people who can understand numbers well enough to say that that's their job. So that already stands out to me. <clears throat> but I want to ask, combine, <laughs> yeah. obviously, you know, so you're good with your numbers. You're an educated man. You love mixed martial arts. How does the process of building what eventually became Smash Global happen? How did it come together for you and from the ground up, those early stages on making your own MMA promotion, essentially? Yeah, it was the decision came when I was in Australia and I had my first loss. And I still remember to the day, you know, I was in my hotel room by myself. Everybody went out and partied, you know, no friends, no family. And I'm a very rational person, you know, maybe because I had that corporate background. I knew it was more than just fighting. You can't fight forever. So remember I was in my hotel room and uh, I just said to myself, what's next? You know, I've had three knee surgeries. I was 33 at the 34 at the time. I knew I, I wasn't going to be the next George St. Pierre. I mean, for me to make it back would be another four or five fights at the bottom. Even if you got in the UFC, there's what, another four fights there? No way I had 10 more fight camps in me. So I said, what can I do to still stay in the space that I love? And literally, it was either open up my own gym, have my own fight team, and train guys because I, I love motivating and inspiring. Or what could I do to make my sport better? Like, what is it lacking? And obviously, UFC is a monopoly. There's no one else that's competing with them. So I said, what can I do better that they're not doing? And for me, boxing just has so much class. And it's just a, more of a gentleman's sport because it has centuries of history. You know, startup people had money in the first place in suits and ties. And uh, how do I get that crowd? How do I get the Formula One crowd to come watch my sport live? So I came up with the that whole black tie con, black tie um, platform, you know, because boxing does it. I mean, you know, you've been to probably countless black tie boxing events for charity, but nobody does it in MMA. I never understood why. And I assume it's because, you know, it's just a very aggressive atmosphere. The crowd who goes to watch MMA, for the most part, especially on the local shows, they're only family and friends of the fighters that they're selling tickets to. You know, so you're not getting that upper echelon as far as demographic, and I wanted them. So for me, expanding the MMA market to a new audience has been amazing, and I love it. No, well, definitely, and uh, I've spoken to this to a lot of people. You know, when you've been to the local events, when you've been to UFC and Bellator and bigger shows even, 
And Smash Global is, without a doubt, it is just something different. I always tell people, if you remember the first Hunger Games where you have all these people and then you have, you know, live and aggressive and high-octane MMA, it is a different experience. It is intimate. It is just a more raw way of experiencing just what you're watching, the sport. So it's definitely, you know... Not for nothing, it is unique and it is executed very well in the shows that I've attended. Um, this will be, I want to say it's my fourth fourth or fifth Smash Global. So I've been here a minute. I wasn't there for your first ones, but it is quite something. Natalie, uh, I know you are there. Did you have any questions before we get yeah, into some just, stuff? Absolutely. Uh, you know, Steve, I was curious because it's such a great concept. When did you start from the beginning with with you know, honoring the, the former fighters like Chuck, uh, Chuck Liddell, Tito Ortiz, was that always part of your concept from the get-go? No, and, and, and I don't even take credit for that. So my first two shows were in San Diego, and uh, during my second show, a woman had come um, her, by the name of Jackie Callen, who they call her, I think, uh, oh my God, having a, a mind fart, uh, basically the queen, of, the queen of boxing. You know, she was the manager for Tommy Hearns, and James Tony, for example. So she was in boxing forever. And she came and she was like, wow, this is absolutely amazing. This is what MMA needs. And she was involved with some other local MMA shows in Detroit. And she was like, she wasn't a big fan, again, because of the crowd. It's just a different atmosphere than boxing. And um, at that show, she was like, hey, listen, I'd love to work with you. So I ended up hiring her. And the, literally the day after um, the show in San Diego, when I hired her, she said, you need to go to LA with this. And I was like, well, I don't really know anybody in LA. I've never even been to LA. And uh, I just trusted her. So we went to LA. She said, the first thing we need to do is honor somebody. You have to honor somebody in LA. You need a celebrity attached with your show because we're going after non-MMA fans. And her demographic was all boxing and older people. Like she's, she is a Beverly Hills staple. So, uh, She's really close with Freddie Roach. So she said, she said, how about Freddie Roach? I said, perfect. That, then I get the boxing community day one. So she's the one who really propelled me to make these decisions. And she introduced me to, you know, Freddie Roach. And I was at Fortune. And, you know, all the people you speak to, you know, Gabriel, when it comes to boxing, that's what she did for me. And uh, I still give her credit to this day for that. Yeah, it's pretty incredible, especially when you look at the names that you've honored in the world of combat sports, but then going going a little bit further out and someone like having Mel Gibson and Charlie Hoonan at your events, like, is that something that you could have even envisioned when you started out or when you first started honoring these combat sports? Uh, here? Man, absolutely not. I mean, I was a kid who, you know, I grew up on Braveheart. Like, seeing some of these people in person, I'm just like, wow, this is crazy. It how It's crazy how, how it happens so fast. You know, I'm only only in LA for two years and getting these names and celebrities has been amazing. And, uh, I don't, again, I don't give a credit to myself. Most of them have been a one degree of separation. You know, like Mel Gibson, I got because of Hegan Machado who trains Mel, you know, and that's when I started thinking about, let me go outside of just MMA and boxing. Why not also honor people who like martial artists and action stars who are in these, you know, movies, that also train in MMA and have an appreciation and understand the empowerment and anti-bullying. And Mel was one of those guys. 
Yeah, it's awesome. You have a you have a great uh, promotion with with a really unique angle on a on a really popular sport, which is great. Thank you, thank you. And you know, those are the ones that are the hardest to get. Like those, you know, the sporting legends are a lot easier because they're retired. They have more time. Um, the actors are obviously the hardest ones. Like I actually have to call Hegan after this because I really, really, really want Ashton Kutcher so bad because he just gave him his brown belt. Such a for me, if I got Ashton, I'd be able to target the VC communities and the tech communities, which I never targeted before. So it really expands it. And he has that Thorn Foundation, which is, you know, child human trafficking, huge segue for anti-bullying. So he's like my number one guy that I'm praying he can get for me. So we'll see. All right, man. Fingers crossed. Yes, please. <laughs> I also got to say it's a funny thing, but Hegan Machado, I don't think enough people in the game realize just how connected that guy is. He really no. is the jujitsu master to the star zone. Just the guys who, you know, you know he's connected to. Uh, I'll tell you guys a quick story before the news. I asked him, hey, you train a lot of these guys. If there was somebody who, you know, wasn't had to, didn't have to be preoccupied with, you know, looking good for their acting... Who could make the transition? And he actually told me Charlie Hunnam got some skills. He told yes, me he if did. Charlie Hunnam wants to, he could do this. And I always remember that. So, yeah, and that's just a couple of them. Um, if I'm not mistaken, he's worked with Demi Lovato and others yep. up there. So, you know, he's a very connected guy and he's a very nice guy to talk to at the events. But, yeah, look, so we are coming up. It is going to be Smash Global number nine on December 19th. And we're going to be talking a little more about the card, about everything that you guys can expect and what to look forward to. But we do have a couple of things that went on in the world of MMA. Steve, are you ready to join us for the show? Yes, I am. All right, well, let's do it, guys. Obviously, we're coming off, a, you know, not too much in the way of big MMA. There were a couple highlights, though. Bellator did have a card from London early in the day. The big highlight from that one, Michael Venom Page with the first round knockout. That one made the rounds. Natalie, not surprising considering MVP got a late replacement, I think under two weeks notice. But really, I mean, he gave the fans what they came to see. Did you have any thoughts on just that performance for him? Yeah, I'm in line with you. Not surprising, but it's exactly what you say in that we got a classic MVP performance and that's what we needed. You know, seeing him get knocked out uh, in the uh, in the tournament was shocking, and so we just want to see him back to his old self, being flashy, jumping in and out, and and getting those killer knockouts, and and you know, walking around with that bravado. That's what we love. So it was a uh, it was nice to see, and hopefully he can get some stronger opponents in the future, and we can see more of that MVP that we uh, that we come to love. Yeah, Steve, yeah. did you catch the clip of that one? Yeah, I agree. I mean. Above all, the, the sport itself needs guys to be more vocal and to put themselves out there like MVP because not enough guys do it. The worst part about fighters is they don't market themselves. I think it's because, you know, it's so easy to lose and most guys have probably have a hard time, you know, with the thought of, oh, I might lose. Let me not talk shit. But guys like the Connors or the Floyd Mayweathers or the MVPs, like the sport needs that, like style bender. Like I love that. I love that. It's, it puts so much more eyes on the sport and it's better for everyone. So I'm glad he got the win. Um, I wasn't expecting him to lose to Lima, but hey, you know, that was a 
I don't want to say it was a lucky knockout, but it was a good one. <laughs> no, for sure. And uh, look, th- this one sets up a good year for MVP. I mean, you know, like, don't blink, but he suddenly reeled off two first-round knockouts since the loss to Lima, if I'm not mistaken. So that sets him up for a big one. Um, Scott Coker always talks about a rematch with Paul Daly in London. That's, you know, that's a gimme no matter when they do it. So that's a yeah. big one. There's obviously other guys out of the tournament, you know, just rolling around that could be matched up with him. So it does set up a big 2020, and he's must-see television. I'd argue he's probably the best striker in all of Bellator, and that's saying something. So it's a great position to end his year on, plain and simple. And the other one in boxing, Luis Ortiz suffers, I believe it was the seventh-round knockout to Deontay Wilder. The one that I find crazy about that is you ask everybody, they all had Wilder losing badly on the scorecards. He just wasn't being active. He was being patient. Luis Ortiz was doing his work. But man, that that right hand, that power of his, one clean shot and just literally one shot was all he needed. He gets another highlight reel knockout. Uh, Steve, let me go to you first with that one. You've seen Wilder live. What was it like to watch the highlight of this one? Oh man, let me tell you my favorite thing about Wilder above all when he when he punches. If you watch that highlight, when he connects, he is already doing the walk-off before the ref even starts counting. Like he knows. He knows that he hit this guy so clean he's not getting back up. And I love that. So he knows his power. He knows when he connects. And um, I'm a big fan. I can't wait to see what happens with the heavyweight division after this. Yeah, what about you, Natalie? I know you're a big boxing person. What did you think of that (laughs) one? Absolutely. Steve, you nailed it. Walk off. That was my feeling, too. That was the big headline in my mind for for both the Deontay Wilder finish and the MVP one. Because they both felt the power. It's like when you hit a home run, that perfect, beautiful sound the bat makes with the ball. And they felt the impact and they knew that they had their man down for sure. So seeing Wilder walk off, you know, victorious, it was incredible, especially considering, yeah, he was losing the fight all the way up until the seventh round. But he rightly says, you have to be perfect for 12 rounds to beat him. And and we've seen that with Luis Ortiz twice. Almost saw it with Tyson Fury. I still think Fury won that fight despite the knockout. But, you know, Wilder for me is someone who has not the best boxing, but he's so entertaining he talks a great game and this killer power that is unmatched. So, you know, can't wait to see that Fury, uh, Fury Wilder fight, the second one coming on, coming pretty soon, I think, right? Yeah, Me I want too. to say February is when they've been, you know, they were circulating that agreement. No, uh, I'm completely with you. And uh, let's be honest, when you are a bit, MVP is nice, don't get me wrong. But when you are a big man like that and you know you could walk off with that kind of swagger, that's just something you can't, you know, no matter what you do, you, it's either you got that quality in you or you don't. And quite frankly, Deontay Wilder has it. Um, I'm with you. Uh, the fight with Tyson Fury is going to be fun. Obviously, by that time, we'll know what happened with Andy Ruiz, Anthony Joshua. So, you know, 2020 for boxing over there in the heavyweight division. That's, you know, that's just a ton of fun. And when you think about the first fight with Wilder and Fury... And, you know, let's be honest, a lot of people, you know, Fury was coming back after a minute. Wilder, not as many people outside of the hardcore fans were exactly clamoring to see him. 
and they still had that huge fight that everyone talked about. Now you're talking about a rematch. I mean, I think that's one of the biggest combat sports events we're going to see next year, plain and simple. I want to ask you, Steve, because I know you were at the first Wilder Fury fight. Yeah. First off, when he knocked down Fury, did you think that Fury was done? Oh, man, I thought he was done. But I will tell you something, and I'm actually, I just got goosebumps thinking about it because it's something I never experienced. When I was in that stadium or in that arena, I thought I was in England. It was insane. I, it, all you saw were, were, were British flags chanting for Fury. I felt like Fury had home field advantage, and just the room like just woke him up. You know, he just came back from the dead because of the amount of energy of his fans in that room. It was an anti Wilder arena. I mean, Natalie, every time I think about it, I was like, you know what? He not only hit him with the one, he hit him with the hook on the way down. He yes. does the perfect dance. I mean, Natalie, when you saw that one, what did you think? Yeah, I, was, I thought it was over for sure. And then Fury rises like Lazarus. And I was just rewatching that, <laughs> that clip. It's so crazy. And it is almost like a switch gets flipped. He's on his back. It's essentially over. And then he just sits right up. So it was an incredible moment. And... You know, what's interesting to me now is that the last fight Fury had was a tough fight. You know, he had to go. He had that huge cut. He had to uh, really, really battle it out. So I'm extra curious now to see how he's going to perform, what his game plan is going to be. And if, if Deontay Wilder feels like he has Fury's number at this point. I mean, that's that's the, the heavyweight division is like that. It's like they can all beat each other on any given day at any given moment. That's why I love it. Yeah, especially with the guys that are at the top right now. Like, it's been a long time since we've had this many exceptionally talented and really entertaining, marketable guys at the top. So this is this is such a great time in heavyweight boxing. Very true. It is. We might almost turn the show into Boxing Daily at this rate. <laughs> no, but um, it, it's a, no, definitely. Look, it's a lot of fun. And especially, you know, when you think about it, they couldn't have had that fight on a better weekend because without MMA, everybody, you know, there wasn't like the, we had it just with the BMF, the split audience. Everyone, if you really wanted your combat sport fix, I mean, there you go. There was only one ticket to buy. So I think it was, a, you know, it just worked out very well for boxing and Really, what better way could you amp people up than everybody could, you know, just had one focus for their attention. So I think it worked out. But yeah, there was some news going on in the fight world. Obviously, the big one, John Jones is officially set to come back on February 8th. He's taken on undefeated Dominic Reyes. Not a surprise. We all know Dominic kind of set the bar high when he had the first round knockout of Chris Weidman um, last month. But, you know, it is what it is. You have a guy like John Jones and you have a guy in Dominic Reyes who, while undefeated and great opponents, let's be honest, he is really taking that huge step up to take on arguably the best mixed martial artist in the world right now. Um, Natalie, I'm going to go to you first. What are your thoughts now that this fight is official? It's music to my ears. It's a, it's a great matchup, right? And it's, it's what I wanted Jones to continue doing, which is just churning through his division and not trying to go uh, up to heavyweight just yet or whatever weight we would see a potential Israel Adesanya fight. I want to see him just continue to, to work through the top guys at this division. And Dominic Reyes is, is an excellent matchup, you know, super game. He has a really um, athletic, like striking background, a nice striking background. And that, that body, the long limbs, I think it's going to be a really excellent 
uh, counter to John Jones. So what I hope is that we see Dominic Reyes kind of, you know, throw a caution to the wind a little bit and give us an exciting fight. Um, I don't want it to be like an Anthony Smith type fight, you know, no, no disrespect there, but that could have, that wasn't as exciting as we had all hoped. And with Dominic Reyes coming off this big win over Weidman, I really hope he's just gung ho and ready to go for it and, uh, and give us a good fight. No, I'm with you there. And you said it perfectly, the height and the length on Dominic Reyes. And we saw that with Alexander Gustafsson. That's always John Jones' plan A. He's so much longer than everybody else that when he gets going, you know, it's impossible, you know, just to get in range to really let your hands go or put that pressure on him. And that's a big part of why he's been so successful. So, and not to say that it's, you know, never been done, but, you know, getting past plan A is already hard enough. Dominic Reyes really takes a little, little bit of that away because he's, you know, arguably, you know, he's within his range. He's a taller guy. He's a longer guy. That makes it a challenge. He's obviously very confident, and there's a lot of tape now. He is aware of all the little things that work against John Jones. It's now being the guy to be able to put it together. Easier said than done. But he has a lot of qualities that should make this a very competitive fight, even though he's obviously taken that big step up. What about you, Steve? Because I know you're a big fan. You're obviously the fighter yourself. What's your analysis for the light heavyweight championship? Man, I'm going to have the most boring analysis between the three of us because John Jones is so fucking amazing. I can't even comprehend how good he is. Like, every single time I feel like, there's something about his opponent that should be able to be him. And John Jones comes in and just smashes everyone. Very technical, though. He doesn't go in for the kill. He's just so technical, so composed for five rounds that I'm always so impressed. Like, I think Reyes is a beast, too. But I think John Jones is going to go right through him. Very cautiously for five rounds, like he pretty much does with everybody. My opinion. And I also agree with you about Natalie about him staying at 205 and not going to heavyweight. Obviously, for the needle, we all want to see him fight all these big heavyweights, right? Because that's where all the guys are. But I, but Jones is one of those guys. He's literally beaten everyone, everyone at 205, from like Shogun to to DC. And I kind of want to see how long he can reign as king. Because the only time he's going to lose is just going to be because of age and timing. His chin is pretty strong, but. Uh, I don't see him losing anytime soon. I can't think of anyone at one at 205 that can uh, that can take him. I would like to see Style Bender go up to 205 and see what happens, but I don't think he can uh, can touch Jones personally. Yeah, it's a tough it's a tough order for anyone, especially as like the Jones hype builds and grows with every win that he has. Like the pressure for whoever's coming in to face him, it's just getting heavier and heavier. And uh, and yeah, there's always you know there's always something in one of the opponents that you think, Oh, if they can just put it together in the right way, they can beat him. But he's very meticulous and strategic. And he always finds a way to just neutralize whatever special skill his opponent has. It's pretty cool to watch. Yeah. I think, I think him and Jackson, it's like Bill Belichick and Tom Brady. (laughs) He just like had this connection that no one's going to beat their game plan. You know, it's, it's incredible. It's incredible to see, especially in MMA where there's so many ways to lose. You know, no, for sure. And you're talking about light heavyweights who, not for nothing, you got more guys with that one shot knockout power than, respectfully, let's say you do at lightweight and other the lighter weight classes. 
Um, I love that analogy. I'm going to start using that from now on. That's brilliant. <laughs> but yeah, you know, I, I think with heavyweight and everything, I mean, obviously they're kind of locked in until the DC Stipe thing happens again, which, you know, we've seen the story before. But then you have Francis Ngannou up there. You have, you know, look, I, I know Francis has already had his shot, especially if Stipe wins, you know, but it's tough because I, I'm with you. I think Adesanya has some work to do at 185. I think the fight with John Jones at 205 would be massive, but he's got to go through a couple of those guys, the Paulo Costa, Yol Romero, um, Jared Cannonier. I think that he gets another two or three title defenses. How can you not say that's the biggest fight to make in mixed martial arts is John and Israel? Especially if you, follow them, if you follow them on Twitter. They haven't stopped talking to each other since like Friday. It's freaking I amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. That, that's a fight that I would like to see at some point. I agree. Definitely has to fight Paulo. Definitely has to fight Yoel before that happens, in my opinion. Yeah, and then also if you're John Jones, heavyweight isn't going anywhere. I mean, in all honesty, if they sort that out and he does that later next year or, you know, 2021, I mean, he's still a young guy. He's still in his early 30s. He's got plenty of time to bulk up and move up after he's officially swept the division. Yeah, hey, why not John Jones? Why not Israel come up? He smashes the middleweight. And then Jones says, hey, I'm going to go up and smash the heavyweight. <laughs> you know oh what I mean? That'd oh my cool. gosh! Just to, hey, just turn everything be. upside down. Just go everything. for it. <laughs> everything. <laughs> now the nice thing about this card, they also announced the co-main event. Someone that Natalie, I heard your sister is fighting, Valentina Shevchenko, <laughs> taking on Caitlin Chukagian in the co-main event. This one, Shevchenko is just on a roll, four-fight win streak, including several defenses of the flyweight title. Caitlin Chukagian, 5-1. You know, I don't think we're surprised. She was kind of the next in line after she beat Jennifer Maya. But what are your thoughts on the fight? Yeah, I mean, Steve, just to catch you up. So I have my own sister's uh, blood relatives. But I, you know, if I ever get disowned, I will happily try to join the uh, Shevchenko clan. I'm just uh, <laughs> really big fans of theirs. And so... Uh, so excited that she's back on uh, back on uh, a fight card here. And, you know, what's interesting is she's so well-rounded. Like, at first, everyone thought it was just the Muay Thai, the boxing thing. But she's shown time and time again that she can grapple. Not only can she take you down and keep you down, she can submit you. And she's just so strong. And, you know, we thought, at least I thought maybe with Liz Carmouche, that would be a really tough challenge for Shevchenko because of Carmouche's wrestling but Shevchenko kind of reminds me a little bit of, of John Jones and in, in the intelligence uh, factor. Uh, you know, she alters her style to, to guarantee a victory. So, you know, with Carmouche, we wanted to see a finish like we saw with Jessica I, but Shevchenko wisely knew that wasn't the right strategy. And so she stayed patient. She picked her shots and she won. So with Chikadian, it's a little different. We have a striker, long, lengthy. She's, I think, four inches taller than her. So um, my only, uh, I guess, mm, not issue, but, you know, I would call out for Chikagian is that sometimes she gets a little predictable. So I think Shevchenko is going to just come out with another smart game plan, figure it out as she goes, but I think it'll be stick and move, pick her shots, and, and, and she'll do whatever it takes to win. So not always gives you the most exciting fights, but she's always there to do whatever it takes to win, and that's part of why I, I'm a huge fan. So I'm excited. No, I, I'm with you there, and I think the tough thing about 
you know, when you pair up with someone, like you said, like in Chukagian, not always the flashiest. You know, you want your top contender to be coming off a first round knockout, put everyone on notice. But she's a very slow and steady wins the race. And she's been putting in work against quality opponents for a long time. Uh, besides the Jessica I fight, her only loss was to Carmouche at 135, which she said was even before they opened the flyweight division. So it's not like Chukagian isn't ready for the challenge. But she is, obviously, like with Reyes and John Jones, she's got that mountain to climb. Um, I'm with you. She's kind of one of those girls that it's hard to see anybody taking her off that top spot. Um, Chukagian's going to take her shot, obviously, and she's a very tough, durable contender from a good team over there in New York on the East Coast. So I am ready for it. I think it's going to be a fun scrap. I think that Chukagian is one of those people you're going to have to take out. Otherwise, she's just going to try to keep coming forward. That being said, it is Shevchenko. You know, everyone knows what she brings to the table, and it's hard to pick against that. What about you, Steve? What are your thoughts on the flyweight title? All I can say is she went the distance twice with the pound-for-pound baddest woman on the planet. So I don't see any competition at flyweight for this girl ever. She's a monster. There's there's no way. I I just see this being a – she's going to run right through her personally. So I guess we will see. No, I mean, that's not a bad bet. Let's be honest, man. Because, <laughs> I, mean, I mean, I don't know. I, watching Amanda Nunes smash these girls at 135, and um, I'm just like, Jesus Christ, I wouldn't want to fight that woman. And and the bullet is going up against her and going the, the, the distance every single time. And she's, she's getting hit hard. She has a chin. She's tough. I, I just don't see any woman beating her. And those, were, and those were close fights, too. It wasn't Very. like it was, you know, she just went the distance. She gave her a run for her money. She sure did. She definitely did. And I, I think Shevchenko won that second fight. Um, and then let's not forget, you know, Jana J- Jan Jacek, too. She's, she's beat her in, in, at every opportunity. So, yeah, we have a killer here. Yeah, I, I would say this, too. Um, when I look at the flyweight division, especially for you, Natalie, I can't really think of anyone after Chukagin. I don't think Macy Barber is going to get there with a win over Roxanne Modafferi, which they announced last week and we talked about. But really, if Shevchenko beats Caitlin, I wouldn't be surprised if they try to do a trilogy with Amanda. I mean, obviously Amanda won the first two, but when you talk about both of them, really what's left? I think that's the thing that I keep coming to. What do you think? Yeah, the pickings are a little bit slim at this stage in the 125 division. So uh, I think you're right. I think they're going to try to do some kind of super fight with with Nunez. It just it just makes sense. There's there's nothing else unless somebody really shines in 125 in a huge way, or you know they get somebody from a, another fighter from another promotion. I don't see that happening, but I can't even think of who that could be. So yeah, I think Nunez. Makes the most sense. We'll see what her... Um, what is she fighting Durandamy now? I can't the, remember. December. That's on December 14th, that big, yeah, so the stacked one. I think she's going to win, but, you know, let's... <laughs> um, yeah, so, so then, yeah, I think that sets us up for that for that super fight, for sure. Yeah, yeah I agree. And, unless, unless, what's her name? Uh, I know she just got the belt, but if, as straw weight, I'm, I'm really liking her. I love everything about that girl. Oh, she can come up to... Yeah, I love her. I love her. Her energy, how 
active she is on social media and she's a beast like when i i mean obviously hitting mitts and whatever but she i tell she trains really hard so uh you never know maybe she can go up to 125 i don't know i like these super fights they're entertaining i think what's uh, fun about whaley you could tell she's a bigger straw weight she's kind of like joanna she's taller she's got a just a looks like more muscle more body mass on her and you know you i i have to for money, she has a tough cut to 115. I mean, look, she's a pro. Yeah. She, she's got the system down, but you get the feeling that if she sweeps the division, she might be more interested in moving up because she's a taller and bigger girl. Um, that's not out of the question. I do think she's a little bit in that Adesanya position that, you know, you want to take on Shevchenko, get some big fights in, and then, you know, suddenly we're headlining a big stadium somewhere kind of deal. But yeah, no, I, I'm not against that either. She she really brings a lot of tools to the table that would make it fun. Um, but yeah, back at flyweight, I, I don't even know, like JoJo Calderwood, Natalie, but even then, she just lost to Chukagian this year. It, it's tough at 125. Um, I think that they're going to, the matchmaking is going to be something to watch as we start to unfold with the first half of the year. Yeah, it's kind of like if you don't do something big, like a Nunes, uh, Nunes fight, then it's going to be a little bit mm, not boring, but it's just not going to have uh, all the excitement that a Shevchenko championship would deserve just because there's not really anyone there that gives her, gives her that real challenge. No, for sure. But look, obviously, Hey, we might, Steve, if you come back to California, we could have a watch party February 8th, catch all the pay-per-view. We could bring the chips. You could bring the fam. It could be a lot of fun, man. I'm just telling you. Okay. All right. So we got some good stuff going on. But of course, the big fight that you and I are looking forward to Smash Global number nine on December 19. So, Steve, I had a question for you because you've done nine of these now. What is going to make number nine different? Um, Let me think. Well, number nine is big for me because it'll be the last show in LA um, before going to New York, hopefully in May going through that process now and my plan is to have a very it's gonna be a little obviously a little bit of a longer show in new york but i want to take all of my champions from the west coast to fight champions on the east coast and uh i think that will be really fun so after after this show i will have a champion in every male weight class other than 125 so i'll take all those guys and i'll bring them over I still want female champions, but man, and you know it from all the shows you've gone to, it's such slim pickings for females in California, number one. And number two, any girl who even has two or three fights and they're decent, Invicta picks them up like that, or Bellator picks them up like that. So it's very difficult to find to find ladies now. I mean, that's really, I mean, that's true of life outside of MMA too, Steve, if I'm being honest. Yeah. <laughs> <No>. True. <laughs> the good no. ones get scooped up quick. <laughs> For real. I mean, Natalie, how long have you been scooped up, man? I mean, dang. No, but um, <laughs> no, but, uh, no for, for sure. The free agent market, I know that's a big part of it. Yeah, um, real quick, so you're saying your plan is to take, you know, all our guys who have won titles. Are they fighting people who have won uh, you know, they hold local titles or something like that on the East Coast. That's the plan? Yeah, yeah that's going to be my plan for sure. For sure. Or, you know, we'll see what happens. I had I had this idea where, you know, Sean Merriman's come to my show. We're now like, Sean, he's a good guy. 
And I was like, once I have my full roster of champions, I'm going to call up Sean Merriman and challenge him to say, listen, let's have a show here in L.A., my champions versus you, your champions, and see who prevails. Just for buzz and promotion, I think it would be fun. So I would take that same idea to New York. Maybe I don't know what show I would use. Maybe CES. I know CES had a show in uh, New York once this past year. But maybe pick one of these local shows and create a lot of buzz. Or, you know, I would just find guys who were champions in the past, which is what I try to do. There's so many, so many amazing gyms on the East Coast in New Jersey and New York. No, I think mean, actually the, you know, Bellator and Ryzen have great success doing that right now, you know, matching up with another promotion and then fighting their champions. So if you, if you do that, that'd be super exciting for sure. I love it. You know, it's like boxing, you know, obviously you see the UFC, the problem with the UFC is they don't need to do that. It's not a win-win situation for them because if any of their guys lose to a Bellator guy, it, it looks bad. And even if their guy beats a Bellator guy, it doesn't even matter because Bellator to me, it's like B plus when uh, when the UFC is A plus, you know. So it's I, I want to see that, but I don't think it's ever going to happen. No, I, I'm with you there. It's just it's just a business. It's how they run it. And like you said, sometimes they don't need to. There are some guys who could give the UFC guys the run for their money. We know that. Oh, but for, sh- for there, sure. For I do sure. believe down the roster, it's just a little bit fewer and farther in between. And I think that's really the, t- you know, and that's it down the board. I mean, you, you look at Ryzen and one championship. A, there are a lot of very talented guys and girls out there. It's just, you know, it's just the business and it's just the brand power at the end of the day. I want to talk to you about some of these fights because I know everyone and their mom is going to talk to you all day about the red carpet and the special guests and who's going to be showing up, which I I do want to ask you too. Don't worry. But I feel like you come to this show to talk to us about the things that no one else is going to talk to you about, Steve. So let's go down the roster. Jackie Gosh, Daniel Rodriguez. This, I think, is one of the more exciting ones. Talk to me about how this one came together. Um, so as you know, I usually batch make most of my shows and, uh, this was the first show knowing that I'm going to scale. I realized I need to hire a matchmaker just because people don't realize the amount of work that goes behind the scenes to make these matches happen and to keep them, you know, from the medicals and the commission and the fighters wanting, you know, A, B and C like a week before their fight or they're not going to fight or fighters getting hurt and needing replacements, which as you know, every single show I have you end up seeing guy who's like 10 and 20 fight someone who's a beast because I had to replace them. And uh, for this show, I hired on uh, Mel Valenzuela. who's really good. Oh, yeah, and uh, we just went, yes, we went through the weight classes I needed. Um, I let him know the managers who I love working with. Like Jason House is one of my favorites. His guys always come. He's so like responsible with his guys. And uh, he gave me all these different names and who I wanted. And for me, I always love it when, because these guys are all fighting for belts, I like it if a guy's already had a belt in the past, you know, with another show. If not, then at least hopefully they're in, you know, they've, they've fought in Bellator, maybe fought in the UFC. I didn't want that back in the day, like in the first few shows, because to me, I felt like it hurt my brand. It was like, oh, well, Steve's just going to go get these guys who were in Bellator and they lost and now they're washed up, you know? But now, I realize it, it does add value bringing those guys back in, you know, if they fought on a bigger um, stage before. Because so many guys, you know, they fall off, they want to make a run back, and they come back even better than, than the first time around. 
No, for sure. And I mean, you've obviously picked up some guys. I mean, you talk about Daniel Rodriguez. I know you've been yeah. promoting him a lot, coming off a win on Contender Series. Not a contract, but he obviously got the W and got a good showing. That's a great one. I love your heavyweight fight, Tony Lopez, the guy who's been fighting, you know, every week, it seems like, with his I record. Know. Against Jared Vandera, who I just saw live at LFA. He was in a tough one, but he's another talented guy. Um, yeah. Then Brandon Hester, Gregory Rodriguez. That's just a good scrap, a good matchup in the middleweight division. I mean, for you, when you look at your fight card, I mean, are you just like, man, I want to see this and that? Do you just try to separate yourself from it? What are your thoughts when you watch your cards go down? Yeah, I try to separate myself now. I didn't before. I do like guys who are entertaining. Like you mentioned, Dana Rodriguez. I've been promoting him. I've been promoting him because he does a lot of promotion for himself. So, like, there's guys, I'll tell you the worst part, what I hate every time I have a new card. Have a new card, then I go to these guys' social media, and I'm trying to pull stuff out to use. And some of these guys don't even have a single, like, professional picture on their wall. I'm like, oh, I've got to be kidding me right now. You know, so the guys who promote themselves are the ones who I also spend more time promoting. And he's one of those guys. He's, I mean, he's a good-looking kid. He's tough. He's local. He's trying to get into show business, you know, trying to get to movies. So he, like, fits the bill. And he has a tough fight, though. The kid he's fighting, Jackie Gosh. Um, <laughs> and this might sound, I don't want to sound like an asshole saying this, but what I loved about him the most is he's from, he's from Israel, you know? And there's not a lot of guys from Israel who fight. And in L.A., there's a lot of Israelis, and it's the very past of this community. So he, he'll bring a different draw to the show. And he was, I think he's seven and two. He was undefeated, and then he lost his last two fights. Yeah, no, but and I, from what I've heard, I've heard that guy can scrap too. So that's another yes. fun one just to match up. But yeah, look, I mean, there's obviously a lot going on. Natalie, so I've gotten to experience Smash Global. I know you haven't yet. We are hoping she can make it to the show, by the way, Steve. But, you know, cover some fights for us. But yep. um, what were your questions, Natalie? Well, first of all, I wanted to say I'm just super excited to see Tony Lopez on there because I, I was uh, also a fan of, of his bare-knuckle fights uh, of recent, and uh, he has, like, such a tremendous record and just so much grit. And just, you know, you know he's going to go out there to fight to give you a good show. Yeah. So I'm excited about that. Um, you were talking a little bit about matchmaking and, and where you are now with, uh, with that process, but I was curious, do you look for something specific in the fighter's styles? Uh, or is it more just you know I, I have a relationship with the manager and I know these guys are dependable. Like what what's your what's your angle there? Yeah, so I mean for me number one is record, um, and then number two is striking. I want guys who are going to strike and fight because again, like when you and when you come to my show, the people who come, the audience generally can't even name three UFC champions, so they're not really well endowed with. The ground game, like, I love watching the ground. I like seeing a war. Like, a, a Damien Maia versus Ben Askren, let's, let's just say, went five rounds. You know, like, I love seeing that kind of stuff. It's like chess. But this crowd wants to see knockouts and excitement and blood, you know? So uh, that's always what I look for. Obviously, that doesn't always happen. You know, I don't know. Um, I'm trying to think my one. Like, for example, the RoboCop guy. Um, the 185er, I believe he's a jiu-jitsu guy in a black belt. I haven't watched any of his fights yet. I need to. I usually binge. I usually, the week before the show, I binge watch everybody, you know, yep. for a day. 
So, uh, so I will do that, but I assume he's, you know, he's a black belt. He's from Brazil. He's going to be a ground guy and hopefully Brain Hester, who's tough. He's a wrestler. will keep it on the feet. And we've seen, uh, Chatri Sityangdong, if I'm pronouncing that correctly from one championship, yeah. like he, he does these really motivational, like pep talks to all his fighters before they go out on fight night. Is that something, do you ever do that either with them as a group or individually just to get them fired up so that you can make sure everyone gets a great show? You know something? I did it for my third show. I have, I haven't done it as a group since, and I probably should. And I always say I'm going to. I am just so all over the place before showtime, and that's something I need to do a better job at. I can definitely admit, you know. But I will pull like certain guys, and I will give them a pep talk. Pep talk. I always stand in front of the cage when the guys come out and give them their daps and say, "Let's go. Let's get in there and fight." I'm not just sitting at the table. Um, to hopefully motivate them so they know I'm there to support them as well. Because me, as a being a fighter and going through these fight camps, I have such an admiration for all of these guys. I don't care what the fuck your record is. I don't care if you're 10-0 or 0-10. Any man who gets in a cage and fights another human willingly get, gets my respect. And I love them all for it. That sounds pretty awesome. Now, is it hard for you to, or do you even try to contain yourself when you're standing cage side, or do you just go into fan mode as soon as the fights start <laughs> um I, I go into fan mode but i'm also very nervous i'm one of those guys who gets very nervous for the fighters because i feel like they're all mine like i've had these conversations with them and dm them like, i'm very accessible to all of these guys and i want to develop some kind of relationship with them not just treat them like they're a paycheck you know so if they message me i message them back they call me i'm picking up the phone regardless of having a matchmaker. Because, again, I really like all these kids. That's actually really awesome, considering what we sort of hear from some of the other bigger promotions about, you know, accessibility and approachability. So I think that's uh, that's probably really encouraging for them to want to put on a better show when they know you so intimately like that. Yes, yes. And, you know, there's some kids that I just like, for example, um, uh, one of my fan favorites who's fought for me, I think, three times, is Fard Muhammad. I think his record, I don't even know how bad. It's like 8-8 eight and eight or 8-10 and ten or something. And he's just a fighter and he's vocal. And I love his energy. And I'm, you know, I've developed such a strong relationship with that kid. And uh, I like to hopefully do that with all of my fighters. No, and I'll say this. That guy really does bring it. That guy will literally fight. Like, you know how they say, like, guys like Cowboy fight anybody. I swear, yeah. I see Farad Muhammad at so many events booked. He's at welterweight, and he's normally like a bantamweight, featherweight guy. And and it's like, how the heck are you like, what? And his record does reflect that he's he might not always take a fight that's, quote, a good matchup, but he really nope. does put on a show. And he has, I, I've been to two of his Smash Global fights. He really does come as advertised every time, no matter what. Um, so yeah, yeah and I, I, I wish I wish all fight I wish all, every single fighter that stepped in the cage had his personality of being vocal and brash and 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 marketing themselves because you know like when you come to the show the the fighters are the ones who are the celebrities that night that's why I tell them before the show I say listen bring a change of clothes or not I don't care but when you're done fighting if you don't have to go to the hospital you need to get back into that ballroom network and meet the celebrities and meet the people because everyone is going to love you because these people have never even seen a fight in the first place. You guys are the celebrities. You're the gladiators. And uh, they usually always end up doing it. 
they all have such an amazing time. That always makes me so happy, especially the next day when you know I see them. Like say Jamal Emers, for example, you know he took a picture with every celebrity that was there, and I was like, oh, that's something that that kid would never experience if he didn't fight for Smash Global, you know. So it's one of those things. Like I, I, I feel that what's that word? Just innate. I love seeing it for those guys because they're not making a lot of money, but at least I can give them like a priceless experience, you know. Um, to go with their fight. Well, I'm glad you bring that up because I could say for myself personally, I mean, I still have people around the circuit who'll say, hey, you're the Smash Global guy. And I'm like, it's true. Yes, I am. And, yeah. you know, <laughs> I, I always, you know, I, I spread the good word about our black tie event. I'm very proud to be part of it. You have not only, um, you know, just given me the honor and opportunity to not only be the official guy on our channel, on our network, but let me expand to do my thing inside the cage now, which I'm very thankful for. And, you know, I always express that to you. And I always try to give you guys the best I can for me as an experience because um, I get it. And I also, you know, I'll reach out and I've seen a bunch of these people. I've reached out to a bunch of them and just tried to, like yourself, spread the word like, hey, you know, like if you got a question about it, you know, just let me know. I've been to a bunch of these. Half of you guys have teammates who have seen me or I've interviewed them a bunch of times at the gym. So, you know, you do make it that experience that is one of a kind. And I just want to say on the air, of course, thank you. And really just to, you know, co-sign on that, you really do make this one of a kind. I want to ask you a okay. quick, uh, no problem. Yeah. Um, I do yeah, want to ask you a quick thing before we, you know, wrap it up uh, toward the end of the show. Anything you could tell me about the red carpet experience? Because obviously that's <laughs> the whole other... I, I, I'm not going to lie. And I always joke with Michael Sartain about this. He works at the beginning of the night. He's our red carpet correspondent. I'm the guy who handles all the action after. So I always tell him, you work at the beginning of the night. I work at the end of the night, pretty much. Um, yep. And so I always say, all that, I don't even worry about. That's all you. What can you tell me about what's going on on the red carpet this year? So I have nothing quite in stone. I have a lot of things in the mill. So the thing about the celebrity spouse celebrities is, is I don't pay any celebrities. You know, I don't pay anyone to be honored. They willingly come and they accept an award, you know, because me as a martial artist, I have a hard time. I have a hard time with the idea of somebody being paid to accept an award, especially in the world of martial arts. It's not like I'm a, I'm a dog foundation and I'm going to have Kim Kardashian as my, my honoree, a guest of honor for the night. Yeah, of course, you got to pay her. I get it. This is like a relatable thing. And I'm honoring people that have made a significant impact in the world of martial arts. So I always hope that these people um, are, are actually feel honored because of what I'm doing for anti-bullying and for MMA. And so far, it's been very receptive. Um, so... With that said, this next show, I put all my eggs in one basket. I was really trying so hard to get Jean-Claude Van Damme as my last honoree in L.A. before going to New York because he's like my number one. And I was supposed to honor him for my fifth show. And unfortunately, it fell through the ranks because he was filming a movie called Blackwater and they extended the filming three days so he couldn't make it back. I'm still mad about that. So uh, he's still in Europe. So he actually let me know two days ago that he wouldn't be able to. So I was kind of disappointed. So now I'm going back to all of my, I won't say plan B's, but all the other people that were on my list. You know, like I want Ashton Kutcher. I could do a, 
you know, I could end it with some amazing people that came to the show in the past that I have an honor, like, a, you know, Michael Jai White and Gina Carano and Frank Grillo, those kind of people. Um, but, you know, I'm going to go reach out to Vander Holyfield tomorrow. There's a few big names I'm going to be going after. Well, always exciting. Can I ask, are you still doing the toy drive for this upcoming one ahead of the holidays? Uh, yes, I'm definitely going to. And then I'll start. Again, the problem with the December show is it's very hard to promote because anything that you do before Thanksgiving, it's falling on deaf ears. Right. You know, in L.A. is the kind of place where no one plans ahead. Like if I was in New York, people would be buying tickets and tables a month, two months prior. In L.A., you can't really start your promo until like 30 days. And because of Thanksgiving, it kind of makes it even harder for me. I have to wait till after Thanksgiving. So uh, I can't really start the hard press until pretty much Monday, a week from today. Gotcha, gotcha. Well, look, I mean, obviously it's going to be a lot of fun. You know I'm always ready to go and ready to do my thing and tell everyone's story. I'm always ready to speak with you and obviously just uh, share the story of Smash Global in our fun event. So once again, I just got to say thank you always for having me. Thank you for coming on. Guys, it is Thanksgiving this week. Steve, you are a special guest at our table. What are you thankful for this year as we wrap up our episode? Oh, man, I'm always just thankful for life, without a doubt. The opportunity to do the things that I do. You know, everything that I've done, at least with me, in my life has been passion-driven, you know? Um, and I'm always blessed for that. Natalie, what about you? As we pass, pass the bread, what are you thankful for this year? <laughs> Definitely thankful for, for family, for friends, for being able to be a part of this show, which I really love. So I'm grateful to you, Gabriel, for, for uh, having me on the show and happy to have met you, Steve. And, you know, uh, I, have a, I have a bun in the oven. He's going to be here in probably three weeks. So I'm super grateful for that. Yeah. I hope he comes out on December 30th. <laughs> longer than three weeks. <laughs> hey, Steve, I gotta ask you. Have a child, obviously. What do you remember yeah. about you know that that point in the process where you know it's not even a month left; it's just weeks and days. What do you remember about that time? Man, I swear to you, when when your wife is pregnant, you're you are pregnant. <laughs> I remember like that last month, she was eating like a house, and I started eating like a house. I didn't even care. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I remember eating so much. Oh, That's uh, definitely happening over here too. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know what? I'm always excited. I think that's a beautiful thing to be thankful for at a time like this. Um, I will say I'm thankful for the same friends, family, health is good, life is good. By the way, I'm thankful for Justin Gaethje. That's always good television. I want to throw something out <laughs> there too. And it's like, you know what? I'm thankful we got guys like him on TV. That's always True. makes our job exciting. So guys like that. Korean Zombie, Tiago Santos, I'll throw a few others out there just for the heck of it. But yeah, so Steve, once again, thank you so much for being on our show. Natalie, next week we have the return of UFC, UFC Washington. Alistair Overeem takes on Jarzinho Rosenstruck, who's looking to kind of have a breakout year if he gets past the Demolition Man. And then also, all the craziness, you're going to have Andy Ruiz, Anthony Joshua in the morning. But then UFC will go head-to-head -head with the Combate Americas pay-per-view with, not, you know, coincidentally, a Smash Global honoree, Tito Ortiz, taking on Alberto Del Rio. I mean, Natalie, what do you think about all that unfolding next week? That's a, that's a, that's a fun fight weekend. 
I have to say I'm probably most excited about Ruiz Joshua too, but I'm going to, I'm going to try to take in all, all three of those fights. Absolutely. What's crazy is that happens at 8 a.m. So you can, you know, get your fix, take a power nap, and then you got round two with double the MMA at night. It's amazing. Yeah, that, that, I think, what are they, Saudi Arabia? That, that time works out perfectly. <laughs> no, yeah, like um, the, the UFC when they did it with Habib just recently. Yeah. So, yeah, that'll be a fun weekend. It's going to be a lot going on. Guys, remember, we're back every week to talk about the fights and all of the news going on. Until then... Have a good one.